Hello and welcome to Qual Party. I'm your host, Adrian, and I'm here today with a truly legendary guest, Cindy Whitehead. I'm so excited to talk to her about her monumental life in skateboarding. Cindy was one of the first women to be a pro skater for vert and pools in the 70s, the first woman to have a centerfold and two-page article in a skateboarding magazine, a skateboarding hall of famer, a feature in the Smithsonian Museum of American Sports History Collections, founder of Girls Not a Four-Letter Word, and literally so much more that we're going to get into today. Before I even read Cindy's introduction, we started having such a great conversation that I just turned on the audio and kind of started the the podcast from there so you do jump in mid-conversation but it comes to full circle really quickly so well party with cindy whitehead anyone can talk to you about like tony alva and all that stuff but it's like there were obviously women there so it's great to actually be able to get to talk to you yeah, it, it is interesting because those stories have been left untold for so many years. A lot of us, you know, after skateboarding mm-hmm. kind of died down, parks were closed, yeah. and then street skating was born. That A lot of us have gone from freestyle and slalom into vert riding. And then <laughs> at that point, people weren't really going from vert riding into street. That was a whole new genre. That was a whole new group of people. Right. Very few, even fewer than us at the time. So um, our stories, you know, were told between us. But until, I hate to say it, but until social media came along, a lot of us lost track of each other. Right. A lot of women, you know, eventually got married, had children. Mm-hmm had full lives some of their husbands didn't even know their history that's so crazy i'm finding out now there's a couple girls that i skated with whose husbands had no idea about this part of their life and i'm like whoa that's crazy yeah Um, i live in a small beach town and i know (laughs) when i was dating my husband we're skating he said let's go skate down to the beach and i'm like yeah no i don't really want to skate and i didn't say why right and he's like well instead of riding bikes let's skateboard so all right so we're dating and started skating down the beach and all of a sudden i hear these two guys go hey rad lady so when i had the centerfold and the two-page spread back that was the title of the spread rad lady oh like i was like i'm on a date like that's it because I wasn't ready to like delve into all that, you know, right. a certain day. I'm like, that's it, going home. And he goes, what was that all about? And you have to try to explain. But when you right. play your whole life and people know you, yeah. it's very comfortable. But when you bring someone in from the outside who doesn't know your whole history yet, it's a little bit of a shocker. That's so funny. On, like second day. Right. You're like, hey, um, listen, I don't want to get into it, but I'm literally in the sporting <laughs> hall of fame. So we'll just like, it's fine. We'll talk about it another time. But it wasn't that yet, but, um, cause this right, was like, right, 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 right. Um, it was like, you know, like, so I kind of used to like skateboard back in the day. Well, what I mean, used to skateboard back in the day. And then it turns out, of course, it was the whole guy connection. He's like, oh, my brother-in-law, Chuck Mosley, is a big punk rock singer, is friends with Tony Alva, and Tony made him a custom board. And I'm like, mm, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, a lot. That was sent me into the guy part of the subject, but. Totally. Because the women were not celebrated as much, and it's really hard yeah. to say, oh, yeah, I knew this person, or that was my friend's sister. Right. I a lot of that. Right. That's so funny. I, I, in my life, like, even trying to date people, which isn't very successful in New York City, but it's funny, because, like, then when I start talking about Qual, I'm like, oh, I don't 
exactly want to get into it because like quell to me is so much more than myself like i'm never really outward facing except obviously in this podcast when i (laughs) interview people but i'm just like no it's fine we it's yeah i just do this thing it basically takes up my whole life and i love it so much but it's we don't have to get into it and then i'll like occasionally invite people to like our parties or something and they're like are you joking like this is this is it and i'm like yeah it's fine don't worry you know what it is? You know what I think about your parties and things you do with Quell out there? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, not to totally date myself, but we already knew where <laughs> from. Yes. It's kind of like back in the day here, um, underground party scene and the punk scene and yeah. also the, the female music scene, underground parties and like you knew where to go and you knew someone and like you're telling people, I don't really want to talk about the whole thing right now. But in essence, the, the right people know when the right people show up, but it's not right. broadcast to everyone. And that's kind of how the music scene was here back in the 70s and even skate scenes, like going to backyard pools and stuff. Right. Invited and you didn't get that information unless you were part right. of that group and you were trusted and you could skate hard and you you know there's times we went to backyard pools hop fences cops came right and cops would always let me stand there and not sit on the sidewalk with my hands under my butt and the guys would be all like I'm like I want to sit on the sidewalk with my hands under my rear like, yeah you're on. like I'm in trouble too guys let me do this I'm like I'm with I'm with them that's my skateboard and, oh my god yeah. they never they never believed that they're like so whose sister are you? How did you get dragged into this? I'm like, I instigated it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, um, I knew the party. I'm really cool, guys. Let me, <laughs> I'm in trouble too. <laughs> I told them we should go to this pool. So yeah, it's it's very funny how, you know, women are perceived on one hand. It works to our advantage sometimes. And <laughs> yes. And other times it works to our disadvantage in a lot of other ways too. So mm-hmm. I guess it's a mixed bag, right? For sure. That is really cool. A, a very cool comparison about our parties being like that <laughs> because in a way, like it's funny, we'll show up to like a bar or like wherever that we'll do. I'm talking more like our magazine parties, less of our like events, but like that bar fills up with like 150 people in like two hours. And everyone is like, how are, why are all these people here? And I'm like, and then we're like, take over the TVs with like girls skateboarding videos and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, you didn't know that you were going to come to this bar and it was going to end up being like a giant, like women's skateboarding party. (laughs) And how cool is that? I'm sure people are like, wow, this is great. Like, look at all these girls and what do you do? And yeah on or baseball or whatever soccer right pretty cool for them to see and if it's not then they should really get out (laughs) very true and i'm sure all the girls there are like all right bye (laughs) it is funny i like a lot of the time too guys will come up to me and be like oh this is your party like i'm a photographer and i'm like that's okay but thank you (laughs) i'm like yes unless you're going to like take great photos of like the women and non-binary and like queer scene in new york and like be a great ally i don't i don't need your like random photos but thank you so much yeah, or if you can help spread this word about what we're trying to do right. to another dimension, to another area. Because I have found, like, especially yeah. with women, too, like, maybe that ends up uh, somewhere else, like a Bill Cunningham photo. Whatever. Right. You know what I mean? That ends up somewhere that brings more recognition, attention to your mission, your cause, and totally. what all these people are doing. And the scene. So I think... Um, 
that's really important too. But yes, just people, random people showing up and saying, hey, can I photograph? It gets a little weird sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I know we're jumping all across the board in the timeline, so I will really start back to asking you more, how did you start skateboarding? Because I know we kind of like have jumped around and talked about like what you've been doing during your time. And I hinted that you were in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. yeah. So how did you start skateboarding? Well, you know, it's, it's two different timelines actually. It's like when mm -hmm. I was eight years old, I got a black knight skateboard with clay wheels and there's pictures of me skating down my driveway in Hermosa Beach on it. And then um, we moved to, in a, to a Volkswagen van and we traveled through Mexico and Guatemala for a year. My mom, my brother and I, and wow. I surfed a lot, but I didn't bring a skateboard. Um, so I had that whole life experience, came back to Hermosa Beach. It's a very hippie-esque town back mm -hmm. in the day. Super cool. Everybody's just friendly and just very much about whatever you want to do is great. And I started skateboarding seriously again. I think at 14, I got a Bane skateboard with Cadillac wheels for my grandma for my birthday. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is freedom. Like, I can ride my bike anywhere in this town, but I can take my skateboard and it's so much faster and easier. Right. It up. And then I started realizing like I was better than my brother at it. It was the one thing I had followed him to every sport, water polo, swimming, all these sports. And I realized, I really like this and hmm. I can't even do a 360. So this is great. So, and then I kind of found my tribe down at Hermosa Pier and it was mm -hmm. guys and a girl named Michelle Kohler who became my best friend. And um, we skated together every single day. And out of that group came uh, Steve Rocco, um, who owned World Industries, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then later Rodney Mullen joined that scene when he came out from Florida. So a lot of freestylers and mm -hmm. then the, um, uh, skateboard World Skate Park opened in Torrance in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I switched there, a filmmaker told me, let's go there. I'm going to get this girl, a girl, to teach you to skate the half pipe. I'm like, oh, this is rad. Yeah. Guy, I'm going to get this girl whose name was Kathy Bomeisler to mm -hmm. help me skate the half pipe. So she did. And she kind of left the scene. And I stayed mm -hmm. in, and that became my home away from home until it closed. And then I was at the runway skate park and marina skate park mm -hmm. on a skate tour back east and um, just skated anything and everything I could. So, yeah, getting a little ahead of myself here, but that's kind no. of how it started. It just totally, like, it just seems like one continuous timeline to me of mm -hmm. just like summer after summer, but literally it was year after year. Right. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, my school was like, we didn't have homeschooling back then. We didn't right. have alternatives like that. My mom was a teacher, but it got to the point where my high school was like, um, you miss a lot of days for contests, for traveling, going on tours. Right. There's going to be a little alternate program for you. So, yeah, they were like, if you want to graduate, um, we got yeah. to find a solution for you. <laughs> yeah. So it was either the delinquent school next door, and I was like, you know, probably don't realize it, but at, but at 16 years old, I was very um, just beach kid. I wasn't right. into drugs, I wasn't drinking, I, wasn't, I was like, no way, they're all pregnant, and they're drinking, and they're drugs, I right. can't go there. And my mom's like, delinquent school, because at least it's school every day, and I'm like, uh -uh, I'll get beat up. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is no. Kids were probably like super cool and they would have, we would have got along great. But right. Yeah, and it was like, it was on the other side of the fence of our school and we all, right. Smoking pot over there. And, right. 
and they kind of came and go as they went. So they developed a second program for me. They decided I would do what is now known as homeschooling. They'd send me home with my work. I'd meet with a teacher whenever I was in town mm -hmm. and do a test and move on to the next thing. And that's how I graduated. So my last two and a half years of high school, I was pretty much just skateboarding. That's so awesome. Um, I, I know, obviously, you kind of like, as you were saying, it was very fluid. But when did basically your like interest in skateboarding turn into more of like this profession? Because you started, you said at like 14. And I obviously from doing research on you, it seemed pretty quickly that you became almost like a professional in that. A couple of years, actually, I was going to mm -hmm. skate every day. Uh, like I said, I was ditching school a ton to do skate demos and to skate at the park. Uh, the team riders of the skate park could skate there all day long, even when it was closed. So I was going there every day, all day and skating in <laughs> the night. And, um, you know, my grandparents would drive me, my grandma used mm -hmm. to go to school to go do this. I love it. And she is the best. And, um, it did come very quickly because mm -hmm. everything back then was so fresh and new. There wasn't a regimented path. It right. was just kind of like you did these contests and they were like, okay, I was getting kind of bored with that. And there's only X amount of girls and she just turned pro and she turned pro. And if I want to go to the gold cup series, I have to turn pro mm -hmm. and turn pro. You can't go back, but that's the next level. So that's right. What you do. Right. And that's kind of just the evolution of things. And yeah, back then it moved much more quickly. I see the girls now, but they're starting so much younger. Right. And they are in such a hurry, a lot of them. And I'm like, whoa, they got the luxury of time here. Yeah. And I don't think we need to be eight and a pro skater, you know, right. like, you should do your thing for a while. And, you know, like Lizzie at the appropriate age and Alicia and the girls you're yeah. before, to me, that's a natural progression right there. Right. Totally. But, totally. but I know that they're excelling at a different rate. I mean, I see it, I see it with our team riders. I see it at the park. I see it on videos, which is great. Right. Like yours. I see it everywhere. So things are progressing differently. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what did you just mention? The gold cup, right? Yeah. The gold cup. Series. So was that kind of basically like the, the goal of a professional skateboarder at the time to get to that series or what other things like were there, you know, like now obviously and like, and I don't know so much if it was equal there, but like, was it now you're obviously getting like video parts, which that obviously was not equal to back in, in your time, but like getting like shoes and boards and boards with your name on them and all that stuff like that's kind of now but what i guess was kind of like the landscape of being a pro skater and like what goals kind of were you hitting at that time or looking to hit well when you're an amateur skater back then you know if you were good competing you were getting you know free stuff remember we never paid for anything we didn't pay mm -hmm. for at the skate park we didn't pay for memberships we didn't pay for boards wheels trucks clothes all that stuff was free if you right. Um, or even shop sponsors were very generous. So shop sponsor was one thing. Uh, skate park sponsor was another thing. There were certain contests back then. You had to have a skate park sponsor to be in, like the Hangtown Olympics um, was a big freestyle contest. That was my first huge one. You had to be sponsored by a skate park, and you had to go through qualifications at that park to get sent to that contest. Okay. So kind of like qualifiers. Right. You know, like <laughs> Olympic qualifiers, now we have qualifiers. Right. Um, and then when you turn pro, it wasn't about getting a board for girls and even guys. It was if you accepted money at a contest. If you went to okay. a contest, 
See, now amateur contests, they give money to amateurs. Back right. in our day, amateurs could not win money. The money was reserved for the pros. Got so it. if you went to a pro contest and you entered on the pro division, whether you really won money or not, you were declaring now that you were pro. I and, see. And the, and the Gold Cup Series was only one series. It happened mm -hmm. once. There was five different events. And it was all around California, so you had to travel. You had to go up mm. north five hours. They had to come down here. You had to go east a bit. Cool. So you had to go to, and you accumulated points at those five contests to come out at the end. Mm -hmm. And the problem was, you know, guys had sponsors who would pay for gas money and hotel right. and things. Girls didn't have that. So you'll look at those results and go back in the day, and you'll see, like, one girl showed up at three contests because they were all Southern. California. Right. And one girl showed up at two contests because they were northern. She couldn't get to southern. Right. It's very sporadic who was in what contests. Um, if you were in four, that was a lot. I don't. I don't know if any of the girls were in all five. I really right. don't. Um, but the best thing about that contest series mm -hmm. was I met my best friend Judy Oyama, who is a pro mm -hmm. yep. in NorCal, and she and I met at the contest in uh, I think it was Winchester that event. And I was like, this is so rad because right. we didn't know these girls existed because the yeah. magazine didn't show them. We didn't have social media and girls didn't get pro boards. Before this in freestyle, Laura Thornhill and Robin mm -hmm. Logan had pro boards. But when you got to vert riding, I don't think there's one pro board for a vert female skateboarder back in the day mm -hmm. in our era. Right. And then when you got to street, yeah. you did, but not in our era. They weren't, they weren't handing them out. <laughs> right. No, for sure. I Nobody's guess offering. <laughs> to, um, to kind of build on what you were saying. So obviously you met a, at least one person that became your friend, but how many like women were you skating with in these contests? Oh, I would say at least five to seven would show up. At okay. These there was more out there, but you know, you had girls in Florida who couldn't get here and we didn't right. know about them. We're just like, California is the only place that skateboarding exists. Right. Then, you know, we find out, okay, in the UK, there was girls skateboarding. There right. Camps, and they're virtually, you know, still virtually the UK is very unknown for, for women skateboarding. Mm -hmm. um, we on social media. Yeah. But, as far as like, do you see them in Thrasher? Do you see them in no. any other state mags? Maybe yours. Maybe. Um, broad. But there's other places in the world that skating was taking place at that time. And Florida is only on the other side of the state. And that's yes. where you're from. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Skateboarding there. But we didn't really hear about those girls because right. all the contests were in California. Cal right. It's been a very California-based thing, even though people yeah. did it everywhere. And yeah, that seems that way. That's kind of something that, like, definitely with Quell, I wanted to make sure, like, as you said, it is such still even a California based thing, or even like West Coast, because, like, for example, obviously, like, I really try to go, to, I want to go to exposure. Last year we did, but um, Kristen went, I didn't go. So that was the Quell presence there. And then, like, um, Wheels of Fortune's obviously West Coast, but it's North. So it's like, we don't really have contests like that here at all. And like maybe some demos in New York possibly, but that's, yeah. I mean, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think West coast in a way is like a little bit more consistent <laughs> with weather. And so when you obviously put all the money and the effort into planning a contest, I do understand, but it'll, it is interesting. And like, obviously we'll get into this at some point, but it'll be interesting to see like as skateboarding progresses in the future, like 
how, where things start popping up and where those kind of like contests and stuff start to live full time. So who knows, <laughs> maybe something on the East Coast. I think you're absolutely right about everything you said, because I do sit here and think in my mind as you're speaking, yeah, what is there? What has there been? I guess Tampa, which is like technically East yeah. Coast, but it's not. Tampa Pro-Am and they yeah. down there. But, you know, even for us back in the day, I mean, San Diego, NorCal, SoCal, East mm -hmm. there. But then when I went on the skate tour back in, I think it was 79 or maybe 80, mm -hmm. to, I was sent to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Now that okay. was known as the best skate park almost in the world. Like we wow. that skate park out here. We'd hear about it. And some of the pro guys, of course, were sent there to skate it and do demos to hype right. boards and things and hype the brand. But when I got sent on that demo, I was like, Cherry Hill, man, indoor skate park. We don't have indoor skate parks. When we got right. there, it, yeah, when we got there, it was like, it was myself and a roller skater, Duke Rennie. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, it was like, being in the Las Vegas casino, time stood still. We didn't know if it was night or day. Right. We ate as long as we wanted and had no conception of time. It was the weirdest feeling. We're used to the hot sun. We're used right. to we're used to getting tired or sweaty and taking a break. And there it was just climate control. It was just perfect the whole time. Mm -hmm. And the bowls were amazing. And it was yeah. So wow. then Apple Skate Park too in Ohio, you know, we went there on this tour and people knew who we were. They all knew who we were and same in New Jersey. And these people were ripping in both places. Yeah, right. we had never heard of them. We had right. never seen pictures. They held a contest while we were there and we got to judge. And I'm like, there's phenomenal talent out here. Totally. We didn't really see any girls, right. but we did see a lot of guys. And even there, so we weren't hearing about them here. Right. Um, right. But there was always rumors. I found a magazine clipping the other day that I was sharing with someone in my box of stuff. And it said it was in like Thrasher or something. Right. Um, Gold Cup Series is coming to a close. And we heard <laughs> that these girls from Texas are coming and they're going to kick the California girls' ass. Oh. And then they're phenomenal skaters. And there's also some guys from Texas coming too. So watch out, guys. Like, never materialized, but it's like, right. This you got your information the room right. was the skate mag and there was a couple pages in the back that always had like gossipy things it wasn't right. fashion, actually it was like it was like a skateboarder magazine right so some gossip thing i love that yeah, maybe i should do that with quell start some gossip <laughs> oh my god it was always so good like that's so one, funny there was one i remember and it says says um Cindy White, pro skater Cindy Whitehead and her friend Penny were enjoying time in the jacuzzi at the Losers Circle Square. That was the Del Mar. Oh my God! Circle, but the skaters called it Losers Square. Right. The Losers Circle, uh, Losers Square, when Steve Rocco and uh, Fred Blood decided to throw in a dead golfer to chase them out. And oh my God! So like. There were things like that that people would hear or relate, and they'd end up in the back of the magazine. We always look forward to reading it, and the story That's so that funny was in there, and we were just like, I mean, I cut it out. I still have it. Right. So I, that was a big thing. Like Texas girls are coming. Right. Are they? Right. Like that's so that's so funny. You know who would be so good to write that? Um, Kristen Ebling does like a bunch of these great videos for uh, Skate Like a Girl. I believe it's for skate like a girl she's so many different things that i like actually can't remember now but she'll read like patronizing comments from men 
on Instagram in like a funny way on the, like through these videos. And I feel like she'd be such a good person. And Alex White even to write like funny gossip rumors. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. It's just funny stuff that happens because for <laughs> us, we look back on that. And we're like, oh my God, I totally forgot about that. And it's there in print and you see it for the rest of your life. And you're like, it's like a little diary of stuff that happened, good and bad. Right. Some of it true and some of it, you know, a little embellished. It's kind of like the Inquirer, but right. in our circles, it was funny because everybody knew everybody. I wanted to also ask you, which is a perfect segue, because you mentioned Skateboarder Magazine. So I wanted to talk to you about being featured as like literally the first woman in that magazine. Well, actually, I was in Wild first. World of Skateboarding Magazine. Okay. There was three magazines at the time. Okay. They kind of overlapped. Uh, Skateboarder was around the 60s, and then it closed, and mm -hmm. then it came back. And then um, Action Sports Now came right after them, and Wild World of Skateboarding was in the middle, and they were all challenging each other. Mm -hmm. sort of. So Wild World of Skateboarding Magazine, yeah, was the first woman to be in a male-dominated skate magazine. Yeah. The centerfold and a two-page article. That's awesome. So, yeah, it, it was it was really nice. That The best part is being able to speak out, that they allowed me to do this interview and say whatever I wanted and didn't, like, um, go back and edit it heavily. That's awesome. And and, and left it in there. And, and uh, I know that Vicki Vickers spoke out in Skateboarder Magazine and did the same. Like, she was basically saying straight out, equal pay for equal skate. And that's kind of what I was saying as well. Mm -hmm. She's a couple years older than me, and I was like, so there were some of us speaking out at that time. It was, right. it was falling on deaf ears. I mean, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. You're just, you're just gay. Right. You guys make the money. <laughs> you know, come on. Right. Let's get real. Right. But like, are you selling products? We could sell products if we had a chance to sell products. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Vicky as well, because as I was telling you about before with like my research project, Vicky was one of the people that I could barely find any information on or photos and like there's some really cool ones obviously but it was just she was one that was like so hard to find any information about so i was like it's yeah vicky is one of the ones one of the women you know it's very different with women it's like we we a lot of us um i'm kind of in the second wave the first wave was the freestylers and yes. then they sort of transitioned into bowl and and transition skating and then by the time that really hit most of them just even being a couple years older than me they phased out. They went to college. They met right. guys. They got busy. Um, and we took over. Our group took over. And we went straight to vert and never looked back. Never did freestyle again after that if was we had to. Because right. sometimes contests made you do all three. Mm -hmm. um, some people still slalom race. But um, Vicky was in kind of a crossover group. And she is one of the ones that after skateboarding ended, everyone lost track of her. Mm -hmm. And on Facebook, when Facebook became very big, nobody could find Vicky. And finally, a photographer named Jim Goodrich, who was her good friend, he asked everyone and they tracked her down. And she was living, you know, her best life with her husband right. and kids, her, her wonderful boys. And that, that was, for her, that was a different part of her life. And totally. It wasn't entering into this part of her life. Totally. And there was a lot of women like that um, that were mm -hmm. very hard to track down and to find out about. And then when we see them again, we're like, oh, my God, where have you been? And this right. is so great. You know, like, it's a sisterhood of sorts. And it's a very small one at that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's nice to see where people have gone totally. with their lives. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, 
like I mentioned before, it's really cool to talk to someone who has had such a history because it's like all these things are so difficult to find. And like, I'm, I mean, I feel like there's like kind of that stereotype in skateboarding for men where it's like, they like have pined their whole lives through the magazines and they've watched every video that's ever happened and they could tell you everything about every single person. And like, I'm not that good at remembering things, I'll be honest. <laughs> However, I really, really love like reading about this history and seeing, you know, like where women were integrated because kind of, as you mentioned, there were women at all stages, they just weren't necessarily covered. So I keep mentioning that, but I think it's really important to <laughs> kind of hone in on that. It is because during the freestyle segment, they were mentioned and they were photographed because mm -hmm. it was acceptable to do gymnastics on a skateboard or do right. or whatever. It was, it was pretty, it was acceptable. It didn't take away from the men. I firmly believe that when it went into vert riding, it was like, Oh, that's a little hardcore. That's a guy's thing. That's right. impressive back in that day. Mm -hmm. It was in that way. And so it was like, you know, we heard rumors. We heard rumors that, well, we put a girl in the magazine and Vicky's doing an air and some guy looks at it and is like, dude, that girl can do an air and I can't do an air. And then I feel emasculated. And it's like, we're like, who cares? Yeah, but who cares? Just try harder. <laughs> yeah, they're selling magazines. So unless you're standing there looking pretty, holding a board at your side in a bikini or something, then a lot of them didn't really want to give you much of the time of day but I mean even now when I pick up a skateboard magazine of any sort I see very few women um yeah. you know if I see it I buy it uh when they do a whole issue on women women I pick that up mm -hmm. and I remember saying to somebody very big in the in the male dominated skate industry who's CEO of a company I said isn't this great look at this and I'm shaking it at him and saying I bought five copies for my young team writers because I want them to see the importance yeah. of Vermonto on a cover and see this issue. And he goes, he says something that's resonated with me. He said, I think it's great, but what I think would be better is to see you guys in every issue, not just one issue devoted to you. That's a one-off. You need it consistently. And he was right. It was like, you can celebrate this and you should, but where is it the other 11 months of the year? Yeah that coverage because it's happening all around you so yeah you mentioned video back in our day yes there were no videos i mean i have a video of me skating a pool because i was on a tv show and i have that coverage <laughs> right but there are no we didn't have first of all we didn't have skate videos like you have now right you didn't watch a skate video with clips and parts right we didn't have that. the closest we got was the bones brigade and that was the bones team okay right. there was girls and that and that was like um uh Oh, uh, Animal Chin. I think right. that was the first big one. And then maybe mm -hmm. a couple other small things here and there, but we didn't have parts. We didn't have skate videos. Um, we didn't have that to look at. You know, mm -hmm. there was not a lot for us to look at. We had to look at the guys to see right. what we were going to do next. And one thing I wanted to actually touch on, which was you mentioned a little bit ago, but obviously so different between then and now, was that you had to be sponsored by a park itself to get into these competitions. So is that... I guess maybe I'm not so familiar because here there's a lot of public parks and I don't know how that works other places, but, and I don't know if that's still necessarily a thing, but like you mentioned, obviously, like you didn't have to purchase memberships. That was like one of the things about being a pro skater back then. But um, 
so I guess were these parks more like membership based and you really like, as you said, like a sponsorship at a park, like was that you just were able to skate for free at the park or kind of how did that work? Well, we didn't have free parks because parks were mm. built by developers and made for money. Those parks generated a lot, a lot of money. Right. Everything going, if you can find footage, video footage of opening days at certain parks, because they do have that right. kids going turnstile after turnstile, and they rented helmets and elbow pads and knee pads. I don't want to talk about it, but right. they, they rented all yes. that gear. And I mean, I think some even rented skateboards perhaps if they were smart, mm-hmm. but you were charged to go into every single park. It cost money. And all those parks were made for money and somebody's family owned them. And then there was a developer behind them. Mm-hmm. They're doing a piece on the history of skateboard world. And it's very interesting. Yeah. Who developed it. And then who created it. And they created things like these, almost like a, they created slalom courses, they created vibes, but sometimes they were just created like just weird stuff that skiers might do. And you're like, Mm. but thanks. Right. Um, So it was very strange, very different. And they popped up very slowly at first and then they grew and grew and grew. And I forget, I looked it up the other day for an article I was writing how many parks by 1980 were in the U were in Southern California and I it was in the hundreds yeah but then what happened is there was oversaturation there were lawsuits um, all these things attributed to the park shutting down we didn't get free parks so way way later when cities started going okay we have basketball courts kids need to skate but back then you paid to go to the skate park and it was I mean I can't remember it was five dollars seven dollars whatever it was but, you know, if you went every day, that added up. So For, Absolutely. Yeah. And also, if you were sponsored by a skate park, people would want to come to that park to see you ride because that's your home park. So that's the park you practice at all the time. So if you've got, right. like, you know, Tony Alva over at Skateboard World and there's me for the girls and then Judy Oyama's in NorCal at her park at Winchester mm-hmm. and that's Stevie Caballero up there with her, mm-hmm. then people would know if they were traveling or in that area, like, oh, you're going to run into those people. Right. And, that, and that's why to this day, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I'm out with my husband somewhere and we're at an event and guys will come up to me like, ah, oh, we skated together. And I'm racking my brain because, you know, they're boys. They all look the same. Right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> True. They say that about us. So I'm like, oh, girls. I'm like, yeah. All, all boys. Yeah. So yes. I, I look at them and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I ask a couple key questions. And then when we walk away, my husband's like, you had no idea who that person was. And I go, no, because what happens is like there's some guy who can't escape park seven times, 20 times, 30 times. Right. At the top of the half pipe. You skated. I have my headphones on. He was there. I don't know him from Adam. He probably never had the guts to talk to me. I wasn't interested. I wasn't there to meet guys. Yeah, right. I talked to him. I talked to my guys. Right. So I, I, we may have skated together, but that's a very loose word. That's right. like very vague situation. <laughs> no, totally. And I'm so glad you mentioned your headphones because obviously you sent us a playlist and I would love, I'm actually, I guess I'm doing you some honors here with these headphones, but I would love to talk to you more about like, uh, you could, we could talk about the playlist more specifically, but like what, I guess how, what, I mean, obviously it sounds corny to be like, oh, what inspired you to listen to music while skating, but obviously like 
music is music, you know, like, I guess, I guess, how did that like affect your life or like, how did that play a role in your skateboarding, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, it wasn't just about music. It was also to shut out people's comments. So I didn't have to mm. hear people at the top. They allowed spectators into the skate parks for free. So right. all the guys, girlfriends could come in and, you know, check out boys or, you know, groupies or a lot of groupies. And there was guys too, you know, maybe they got done skating and they were watching other people skate or, or friends of right. guys didn't skate. So I hear comments and I, I hear really great comments and be like, Oh my God, that girl's ripping. That is a, that's a girl. Wow. Crazy. She's shredding. Right. Or, you know, I might hear bad comments like, we wish your shorts were shorter or whatever it was. Right. It's like, you know what? I don't really need to hear it, good or bad. It's kind of like that old adage of, it's none of my business what you think of me. It's right. kind of that in a way. Right. Um, and so I, I learned to tune it out and focus on what it is I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. so somebody let me borrow a pair of Radio Shack headphones and I taped them to my helmet. And I'd go through a pair like every month because I'd slam really hard and I'd slam the side of my head. Right. And so I have to go back to Radio Shack, another $30, which was expensive, get another pair to scrape together the money. I was like, I need those headphones. So yeah, yeah the music was great, but you have to understand it was a radio. So right. if you couldn't tune in a station, then you didn't have much to listen to. But fortunately, Skateboard World, I could get all those, the stations in LA. Yeah. And I had certain ones I like to listen to. So you'd see me there. If there was video, you'd see me flicking the dial, flicking the volume over here. And then, and I could flick them on and off with a switch if I needed to talk to you. I could just flick a switch. Right. Um, but sometimes, you know, you'd see me snake people. If there was a good song that came on and I had just done a run and walked back up, I don't care. I'm going right. to drop as Joan Jett's on and she's playing Bad Reputation. Right. And it's over. Yeah, I'm like, no, my turn because, or I'd sit there and wait a long time for a good song to come on because right. I was, none of this is doing it for me. Jimmy right. Hendrix isn't doing it for me right now. Right. Um, so yeah, that was the purpose of the headphones. And I'll be honest with you, it was really hard for me to wean myself off of those. And so right. we, I mean, we didn't have the Walkman yet. We didn't have yes. a iPod yet or a cell phone. So it was hard for me to wean myself off of those. And I had to for contests because back then, you told them what your music was to play, and they usually played it. In freestyle, right. they always played it, but in bull riding and pools, you told them what your music was, and you could give it to them on a cassette tape or whatever. Right. And they would play it for you. And That's that was awesome. Cool, but contests were huge, so sometimes, you know, the girls' events a little smaller and might forget to play your music, and you're like, fuck. Right, because you're like, I want this. Because <laughs> you had that run here. That right. Know, high points were what you were gonna do, and yeah. So it's almost like a routine, for lack of a better word. But yeah, well, yeah. It, it kind of was, and it motivated you and pumped you up. And you know, it's just like skaters now. You see people with their um, their phones and and their headphones on before SLS or before a contest, and they're getting into it. Some people are even skating with that playing in their ears while they skate. And it's probably, again, another way to block out the crowd and pretend like this isn't as huge as it is. I'm in my zone. It's another, yeah. it's another practice day. I got this. Right. So it's twofold. It's music and it's also keeping you in your zone. I think. Totally. Totally. And obviously you mentioned Joan Jett, which her, like you're really hitting all of my questions so seamlessly here, but she introduced you for your skateboarding hall of fame, um, 
I guess, award. Is that correct? Yeah, she, she did. She did my intro. Um, wow. Yeah, that was really, really nice. You could pick anybody when you get inducted in the Skateboard Hall of Fame. You can pick anybody you want to introduce you. And I think um, the biggest music person who had introduced anybody was Rodney Mullen had, um, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, ben. I'm, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. That's but okay. Ben Harper. Okay. Uh, it was Ben Harper. He had Ben Harper, who's his friend, introduce him. And I was like, you know, I really want a woman and who's the mm -hmm. most badass woman I can think of that kind of, you know, is very similar to me and how I think, how I think and feel, et cetera. And that's Joan. And so I asked wow. her graciously, um, did my introduction. And that was so cool. <laughs> hardcore. Yeah. It was like comparing, you know, skateboarding to the rock and roll world and what she's gone through. And totally. Knows, like how hard that is and with the guys and stuff. So I think when um, she sent a video because she was leaving to go on tour and she couldn't fit the date in right. to come in person. And I also just think it would have been like really hard just right. to have her there um, for her as well. Totally. So, she sent this amazing video that she had produced, had her producer produce. It was so well done. And mm -hmm. I watched it and I was like, Oh my God. And then when it played, people were like super quiet. Like, who is that? And That's then so she said her name and then there's this buzz through the room. Like, right. Yeah, what the hell's that? Right. So, um, I sent her one of my skateboards, the one that says it's not about pretty on the bottom that she mm -hmm. has hanging in her home and um, she has our stickers the girl's not a four-letter word stickers on her Gibson guitar that she plays that's so awesome and it hung in the Met for a while they did a Met Museum on rock and roll so oh, that cool. guitar was hanging in the Met and I got a lot of people sending me pictures going did you know your stickers are on Joan's guitar and I'm like yeah I don't I don't always talk about that stuff because that's kind of a personal relationship right um so don't say a whole lot about it she's totally yeah, but she's been such a huge sense of support for me in so many ways. Um, totally. Verbally and physically and just, you know, I admire everything she's done. And she's a badass, groundbreaking woman. And yeah. It's like, damn. As are you. <laughs> so, oh, you. of course, of course. That's so cool, though. I, I When I was, like, making sure I was getting, you know, my facts correct, I was like, that's, I need to know more about that because that's pretty, that's awesome. I mean... Not only were you in the skateboarding hall of fame, which is truly awesome, but then it's like the the whole the whole thing is very 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 cool to me. Yeah, it was a good it was a good night, and <laughs> you know, as I tell everybody, I mean, I love the skateboard hall of fame. I totally support it, mm -hmm. and I'm thrilled that the girls are in it as well as the guys, and, mm -hmm. and get to to say what they feel about that era and visually and everything else. But I think everyone needs to remember in life in general, and even the Olympics coming up, it all ties into me. Mm -hmm. Did you have fun? Do you feel successful mm -hmm. yourself? These are cherries on the cake. Uh, they, they can't be your whole cake because not everybody's going to get a gold medal. Not everybody's going to get into the hall of fame, but mm -hmm. if you know you contributed to furthering skateboarding in some manner and degree, that's what should be important because mm -hmm. sometimes people get very wrapped up in the accolades. Yeah. And really can't be everything it can be a nice thank you and mm -hmm. i love it and appreciate it and don't get me wrong but um i don't want people to ever feel left out like they other girls didn't contribute because totally. they did. every girl who was out there in those 70s and early 80s they made a mark in history and they all deserve that award 
A thousand, a thousand percent. It's great that you mentioned that too, because I've been talking about this a lot with like different people as I start to like, I, I don't know, I guess really tore in this like coronavirus time, which we haven't even mentioned and we don't even have to because it is what it is. But um, <laughs> yes, um, we, I guess, yeah, we, we will because I have a couple questions for you later about that. But like, I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, coverage, because obviously the whole world is different and like what you want to focus on in like the media landscape and these stories you want to tell. And I think so many people have been really talking to me about like the importance of just being in skateboarding, not that like you necessarily need to, you know, like I can't run my business and be as good as Tony Hawk. Like that's just not what's going to happen. So there's like this level of, you start somewhere and, you know, maybe you never get there. Maybe you never drop in, for example, but like you still were there. And as a woman or non-binary or queer person, like you showed up and you just like, it's such a radical thing that you showed up and you just like were, as you just said, in this space. And all those people do like make that difference without actually necessarily, you know, going to the Olympics or whatever the accolade might be at that time. I absolutely feel that. And I noticed that um, one thing I love about Skateboard Hall of Fame that they are doing and have done is honoring those people. Like they invented a wheel, but they were not known as, you know, a big skateboarder or Mm -hmm. they ran Thrasher or Trans World magazine or they Mm -hmm. were a photographer for those magazines that contributed so much. And I think exactly what you said, what you're doing with Quell, you're so busy doing all these things, right? doesn't end a job and all your life. It doesn't leave you enough time to go to the skate park and develop your skill to be the next right well, yeah yeah i was gonna say tony hawk's not the best example but it is yes. a good example though because it's a successful business lizzie's still skating full-time so tony yes. is a good example in that regard and i have people ask me that they're like oh you should get out in the skate park and skate more and yeah i really should and i'd love to but the focus for me is on the girls the next generation mm-hmm. i my time and my moment. I love to still skateboard and I love to get on my board. But for me to go to a park every day, that's X amount of time in addition to my career, in addition mm-hmm. to, you know, um, working on girls, not a four letter word, our yes. collab deals, the website, you you know how much time all this stuff yes. takes. So <laughs> I kind of have to make choices in my life for sanity's sake as well. Mm-hmm. And those are the choices I kind of make is to help propel the girls today forward more so than me being at the skate park every day, which I would love to. Right. Right. I only have so many hours in a day. I know. I was honestly, I was working up until 1045. We are recording this at 11. And I had to say to the people at my job, I was like, I don't care that we have to send this. And this is a Saturday. I don't care that we have to send this commercial. Like, I am getting on the phone at 11 and I will not be answering you. Like this, this is what's happening. So it's like, yeah, you got it. Um, there's, I feel like I could talk to you so much about your like skateboarding career forever and ever, but I do want to get to some of the other things that you have done because you've coined this term sports stylist. So I want to kind of get into that and like what that means to you and sort of like how you developed your career post your actual like professional skateboarding career. If that's a good way of phrasing that I didn't actually, cause I still feel like I would consider you as a professional skateboarder. So I don't want to like diminish 
just like, oh, that's over with and now I'm doing this thing. So And that's that's a good point too. Somebody asked me that the other day. They say, How do you refer to skateboarders who don't skate professionally in contests anymore but were pro back in the day? And you and people were like, Is it former pro? And I'm like, No, because you're always a pro. So the way we deal with it is we say OG pro. So okay. we put OG in front of it. We know that you were old gangster, OG yes. pro. You're still a pro, but you don't compete anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody like Tony Hawk, we wouldn't even say OG pro. We just no, say, yeah, oh, right. Doing it, um, but yeah. So sports stylist, I I uh, coined it and trademarked it quite a few years ago. I was doing wardrobe styling for celebrities and uh, magazines, etc., and working with my agent and building that career and uh, loving it. But what I didn't love is working with a lot of young actresses who felt that their body wasn't perfect when I looked at it and I could tell like anyone would kill for that body right. if, if that's what you want. And you know, they'd be a size zero or a two and they'd be like, oh, this makes me look fat, I look so fat. And instead of feeling sympathetic, I started feeling annoyed. I started feeling right. like, like I never heard a girl surfer that I hang out with or skateboarder or soccer player ever bemoan the fact that she has strong legs because they propel her in her sport or strong arms because, you know, she lifts weights or whatever it is. And I started being very frustrated and I thought, you know, my mom always told me, leave the party when you're in your best moment, not your worst moment. And right. I started thinking, do I want to go to work and be a drain on people because I'm frustrated because I don't enjoy this this talk around me that's so right. derogatory. And I'm not a derogatory person. I like things to be more upbeat and positive. And if they can't be, then you know, then do what you need to do to switch it. So right. I decided I worked with a photographer who was specializing in sports, which was not big at the time. Nike mm -hmm. was starting to head that direction. And I did a couple jobs with him. And I was like, that's all he does. This is what I want to do. And I aligned with him. And I told my agent that I wasn't going to do these, these mm -hmm. young celebrity actresses anymore. Right. They were like, well, <laughs> you can't just do sports. There's not enough money, et cetera, et cetera. So we parted ways because they did not agree with me. And, um, I went out on my own doing this and I've been doing it for ever since and mm -hmm. you know, have so many great athletes as clients and, and I work with Adidas and I work with Nike and I work with Gatorade and a lot of times it's interesting because those people at those companies that I'll talk to and skateboarding will come up, they don't know me first as a skateboarder, they know me as a stylist. And then right. you get the connection and they're like, whoa, like one time I was with Adidas Golf and just casually at dinner, somebody mentioned something, a group of 20 people at the table, and they've known me for years and years and years. And they said, yeah, Cindy's involved in skateboarding. They're like, oh, really? And it came up and I said, yeah, actually, um, one of my team riders is going to the X Games next week as the alternate. She's like they're 12 years old. Right. Like, really? Let's film something for her and give her the heads, give her like, you know, like a setup. Right. So they all got together in a group and told Menestes, you know, good luck at the X game. Oh, it was Minna and Poppy, both of them. Mm -hmm. Minna and Poppy. And they, like, here's Adidas golf. There's nothing right. skateboarding. And the CEOs, like the, the vice president, everybody is there shouting out to these girls going to the X games. So yeah. So my worlds collide. Um, I did a thing with Adidas golf and palace skateboards. Oh, and cool. Jefferson was shooting it. I know Atiba from. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know him from skateboarding originally. I've always known him from the photography end. We've been doing mm -hmm. jobs together. 
So my worlds collide a lot now with skateboarding and, and sports and mm -hmm. styling and wardrobe. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much what I do. I, I love my job. I love the people I work with. I never once have a Olympic soccer player, female show up and tell me I have soccer thighs. It's said in a proud way, not a bad way. Right. Um, you know, it's just, it's always a positive day with people and mm -hmm. nobody's tearing down their body. And I, I yeah. really love that. Right. I know it, it's definitely, I work in advertising pro, like full time professionally and it, it's definitely like, it, it's really, to me, what you do is like very interesting because you actually have the ability to like show people in sports in a way that's like authentic, which is like something with Quell that I love doing obviously, but like the authenticity, like you as a professional athlete at some point, like know what it feels like, what it looks like. And that's like so cool to be able to actually, you know, put that forward in whatever sport that you are working with. Yeah, it is nice. And it, it does make, especially the girls, I think, feel comfortable when they find out, you know, come from your background in a different sport, obviously. Right. When early in my career, I remember an athlete, a swimmer, was asked to wear a very skimpy bathing suit. And she right. didn't feel comfortable. And it was like a thong situation. She didn't feel comfortable. She had no agent or manager on the set. Because um, a lot of times the guys have agents and managers that show up, but the girls not always. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, let me gently talk to them and see what I can do. And she's like, you do that for me? And I said, yeah, I, I know what that feels like. Not mm -hmm. right now, but at your age, yes. Right. And we had a discussion. I'm like, can you shoot her from the front? Can you shoot her, you know, three quarters side so it doesn't show as much? She'll wear the bathing suit, but she just doesn't want to be portrayed as this image because it's not her. She's a right. strong athlete. And that's for some people, but it's not for her. And they compromised and it worked out. And that makes me feel really good at the end of the day or being on a set where they're also like, we're going to have Cindy do technical advice as well because we have a BMXer and a skateboarder. Mm -hmm. and, and you have to tell the grip guys, well, you have the BMX kid launching off the ramp, but there's no way for him to get out of that jump because there's a wall 10 feet to his right. And, you know, sometimes the grip guys will be like, what do you know? And I'm like, well, you're like, I do know, actually. Um, so those are interesting conversations sometimes, but I, I do enjoy being on set with athletes and, and having um, that perspective and knowing that, like, your body is not a size two and you don't wear sample sizes and you don't want to nor need to. And mm -hmm. so there's going to be a little gap in the back of your jeans and we're going to take that in and, you know, we're going to make things work and make you feel great. Yeah. Um, that's the key. That's really awesome. I think it, being an athlete is such like a unique experience. I think you're putting so much pressure on like yourself and your body and to perform. And not that I'm necessarily an athlete, but my, my sister was a professional horseback rider. And it's like that that's scary in itself because you're really trusting that thing to jump five feet in the air with you on its back. So like, but the your mind, everything just you know, goes through so much. It's, it's nice to have someone I'm sure that like you, that knows what's up when, <laughs> when you are getting photographed, because the photographs and stuff, like, even if someone will ask me to do like a photo shoot or something, you know, it's not, that's not the reason you're doing this. And so it feels like it, it's a part of the thing that you're doing, but it's not the most comforting 
aspect. Like you're not necessarily, I guess, speaking from experience, like that's not where I'm confident. I, I don't want to be the face of quell. Like it's not, I mean, if you're a professional athlete, you are a professional athlete, but you know, like it's nice what I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm rambling, but what I'm trying to say is it's nice to like actually be able to be portrayed in a positive way and have people around you that are like going towards the same vision. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think it makes them feel comfortable because some women who are thrown into the spotlight, like, you know, U.S. women's soccer teams, some are very well-versed. They've been on many TV shows. They've got it down. And other ones are a little bit more shy and not as comfortable in front of the camera. And maybe I'll stand off to the side and work with the photographer of having them talk to me or just joke around with me to get those candid moments so they don't feel like deer in the headlight. You know, and as they do it more and more, they get more comfortable. But it is hard when you spend your whole life, you know, uh, doing a sport and that's what you're known for. And all of a sudden you get thrust into like mm -hmm. almost modeling per se, in a way right. those are sponsor obligations you sometimes have. And that comes with the territory and thank goodness we're seeing more of those because I would love it if I showed up every day at work and 90% of my work was female pro athletes as mm -hmm. opposed to right now it's maybe 15% female pro right. athlete endorsement deals and the rest are men. And I love the guys, and they're great to work with, and they're super fun, um, and they deserve everything they've achieved as well. But the women need to be seen and heard, and I'm hoping with the Olympics that we'll see more and more of that with the female skateboarders getting those yeah. endorsement deals that are outside of the skateboard realm that can afford them the sponsorships that they need. That's definitely, like, such a driving factor for me is the like what you just mentioned of visibility and like when you don't see someone doing as like a woman if I didn't I didn't see people skateboarding like around me because when I started skateboarding there was no Instagram so like I didn't see these people around me and I just I stopped until I got older yeah. and like to your point, if you start seeing these people like in skateboarding and soccer and I mean, soccer, women's soccer, fortunately has a great rep, <laughs> but like when you start seeing people, women's golf, whatever it is, like you're going to, you're going to know that you could do it too when you start seeing people that look like you. And I think that's so, so important for everything. I, I think so too. And also is also, um, I was going to say about the girls being visible you know, we're seeing them more and more because like with your magazine, right? Mm -hmm. That's a tangible thing where mm -hmm. we can see those girls out there, but we've never really had a women's magazine. Mm -hmm. Just, just about the women. Right. And you were one of the first to do that um, on a really nice level. And you know, I have most of your magazines here. Oh, really? Life. Okay, good. I was going to say afterwards, I want to get your address so I can make sure to I send you. I a couple issues. But okay. I try to collect everything that has to do with women's skateboarding and keep a history log here because I just think it's awesome what we're seeing and um, the development and, and everything. In fact, well, that brings me back to a point where you just said about seeing things on Instagram. A lot of times, you know, somebody said to me recently, and it, it kind of pissed me off, actually, um, you know, you've got a lot of younger girls on your Instagram. And I said, well, here's the thing. They're not pro skaters. They're not getting a ton of attention. We have pros on there. We have longboarders. We have adult females. We have um, straight, bi, Mm -hmm. 
binary. We have a lot of different people on there, but yeah, there's a lot of young girls doing amazing things right now. And my feeling is we need to encourage that because we need to keep them yeah. in the sport past the time when they hit 12, 13, that's when at school they start getting, uh, people making comments and making them feel bad about them being in a male dominated sport. And I've heard it time and time again from the mothers of my team riders, mothers that just see me on Instagram and talk to me about it. I don't have kids, so I don't experience it firsthand in my home, but I do hear it. And I'm shocked because I didn't know what was going on still. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, you know, so-and-so doesn't even want to go to school anymore because she goes there and they give her a hard time for being a skateboarder because she's different. And I'm like, they should be celebrating her because she's fucking cool. Right. And that yet, you know, what's different is not always cool at age 12. It's put it down and right. cool so we don't feel so bad about ourselves. So that's what is happening a lot. So I do try to celebrate a lot of those younger girls and build their self-esteem when they're eight, nine, 10 years old. So that when they get to be 12, 13, they have a community around them that they've developed through social media that they can fall back on and rely on and know that this over here, what they're getting told at school isn't the all to be all. So that's right. kind of my answer for like, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't post about younger kids because they haven't deserved it yet. They didn't earn it. Right. Like, but with girls, you're going to get them to drop out. We used to see the dropout rate in skateboarding for girls around 17 and why do you think we didn't have any pro female skaters for so many years, like in the 2000s, mm -hmm. who, who were over the age of 17? We're lucky now because of the strides that Lizzie's been making and all these mm -hmm. other companies. Lizzie stayed in the game. Amelia right. stayed in the game. We didn't see that before. By the time you were in your early 20s at the latest, you had to drop out to get a real job, um, to to do something else to make a living because you couldn't do it here. And Nora's showing us that we can do that, that you can make a right. pro skateboarder and you don't also have to compete. Look at Nora. She doesn't have to compete. She can generate this industry that she's created on her own without competition. She's a absolutely, person. absolutely. I think you and I definitely share very similar values in terms of like the people we feature and like, and I couldn't agree more about like, you got to really, it doesn't matter. Like we're not only showing pro skaters. I think that's so important that like, it, and skateboarding is so much more. And as you mentioned, like skateboarding is so much more than just being a professional skateboarder. And I think that's important. <laughs> I always try not to ramble so much, so I'm really trying to <laughs> stop. Oh, I ramble too. It's totally fine. But no, I agree. We need to celebrate our pro female skateboarders too. But we, yes. we luckily have a lot of people doing that as well now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're sponsors. Uh, yes. Themselves, each other, the contests that are behind them, etc. But the ones coming up that are in the shadows still why not give them a boost? I mean, what, what, totally. does it, what does it hurt to give a shout out? Yesterday, I had a young girl on there that I don't know personally, but she stoked me out. She was riding a full mm -hmm. in Laguna with some OG friends of mine. And I'm like, the OGs took the 10-year-old girl, not a boy, to a secret spot in the back of a hill to right. ride a full pipe, not at a skate park. And I'm a firm believer too of like, don't always ride a skate park, ride anything and everything. And even mm -hmm. if you're not a street skater and you're a vert skater, go out and ride 
stuff that was not made for skateboarding, like ditches and backyard pools, that makes you a better skater. Mm -hmm. uh, years ago, I was shocked when a girl told me, I I'm not going to go there and skate. It, like, who made that? It's not a skate park. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> right. I did go there and skate it. And I'm seeing more of that now. Um, like Las Chicas with Natalie Krishna. Dawson. That's exactly what came to mind when you started yeah. talking about the full pipe. Yeah. yeah, Natalie encourages that um, with the girls in Arizona. And I think, too, like when you get out of California, like Arizona's a little more DIY situation. Mm -hmm. And them scrappy and cool and adventurous. And they go on these tracks and stuff. And, you know, Southern California, it's great. We have skate parks in abundance. But so we don't have to, like, forge for our food, right? It's right. all right here. Whereas if you live somewhere like the Midwest, you have to – figure out oh there's a silo and guess what there's there's a bunch of empty big pipes made for a pipeline over there we should go skate those or right we should build our own skate park in the barn right that one too and i i like all that i feel like it's so real and um i think it's i think it's great yeah i agree i definitely agree I that's my roots that's why i like it right i wanted to ask you because we haven't explicitly said anything about girls not a four-letter word but obviously you have founded that so i wanted to talk to you about you know how you found it or not how but i guess your intentions we really like talked about is just you know being a woman and visibility in skateboarding but kind of like how did that idea start to form in tangent with your profession obviously that's something else you do and like where did that start how is this kind of shifting you obviously have an instagram a brand collabs you know i want to hear about it <laughs> oh, thanks well it started in 2013 for real mm -hmm. uh, because i was asked by dwindle uh which is major skateboard company that has a lot of different lines in it they also own dusters california if i would do a collab skateboard with them Mm -hmm. And creative designer at the time was like, you know, let's like do an OG pro model. And I was like, nah, like you can put my name on it if that helps. And we can use that story. But how about we call it girl is not a four letter word. And we make it about girl skaters and we give the proceeds back to a nonprofit that helps girl skaters. Awesome. So there's more of a story there to me. And I said, if you, if you need to use my name in it, to perpetuate, you know, to per sorry, to propel that story. Mm -hmm. I I'm all for that. That's okay. Right. Like you were saying, you're the face of Quell, but you don't necessarily want to be the face of Quell. There's right. all this other stuff to it. And that's kind of how I feel about this. It's about the girls. Mm -hmm. So we did that deal. Um, we're in our almost our eighth year now of boards mm -hmm. with Dwindle. Wow. And um, the the first nonprofit that we gave back to was Grow. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And we did that, and then we did. Uh, I think Poseidon was next, and then okay. Exposure. Um, and then we decided we sat down at the company and decided to do, try something new and try to do instead of funding 501c3 nonprofits in girls skateboarding that were already up and running because mm -hmm. while they're great and I love supporting them every way I can, I also like to see results myself and mm -hmm. I, like, I like to oh and Chantal bridge to skate we we mm -hmm. did as well but I also like to see um, tangible things like. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's an update or maybe it's like right. Chantal would tell me that young girl right there now skates this half pipe because she was able to do this. And I love seeing that firsthand. And I felt a little like third party removed from it. Right. So 
we decided, we sat down and had a meeting and we decided to do a little something different and do micro grants. So okay. we got money and we put up a notice and we asked girls to fill out information and do micro grants. And we had a few girls that did and we gave out micro grants. We had um, a girl named Callie. She skated across. She's, um, she's a non- I don't know if she calls herself non-binary, transgender. Mm-hmm. And she skated from I think Oregon to New York or Maine um, on her longboard alone. No I definitely there. remember seeing this on your website. Yeah. And she's super cool. In fact, she has a book out and I just ordered her book. I, I meant to order it a long time ago, but it's the story of her journey and it's super cool. But she did this all alone, all by herself. And we gave her a micro grant. And then there was a girl that... Um, didn't even fill out a form, but she was throwing these get-togethers in Utah, like some random place in Utah, and she was finding out there's all these girls that skateboarded but didn't know each other, and when she started putting it out there, they all came together, but she didn't even have enough money a lot of times for water to bring, and she wanted to right. have it there for them, even though they could bring their own, so I called her up and just gave her a micrograph and said, you That's know, awesome like $250 help you and she was like oh my god why are you giving this to me and I was like because you didn't even ask but I see what you're doing like I'm watching I'm seeing what you're doing so sometimes what happens is I just see stuff and I reach out Um, now I reached out in other regards and people haven't been ready to do an art show or whatever it is that I think they're so ready for um but they don't, you know, artists sometimes don't feel ready to yes. share everything. There's a woman who's doing uh, paintings of all the OG female skaters. And wow. I think that is so important to be seen and heard. And I think a show like that in LA, she's not from LA, but I think a show like that would be really great to tell the history of women skateboarding and nothing like it has been done. But she wasn't quite ready for that yet. Wow. So, so maybe that'll happen later. And then now... We are donating uh, $15,000 to women heading towards the Olympics for qualifiers. That's really cool. Of course, we started that before the pandemic. I know. I was going to ask you, because we've mentioned the Olympics, obviously, a couple times, but now, once again, coronavirus. Yeah. (laughs) The girls girls, um, that we noticed that at that point did not have huge sponsorship deals, but were on Team USA, Team USA can only help um, so far financially. Um, every team in the U S they don't all get their stuff paid for like BMX riders. They still have to figure out their way to qualifiers. You know, it's not like team USA BMX gives them, you know, $5,000 every contest. And says you have at it, right. Budgets in place. And, and the USA actually, um, I believe what I read supports their athletes financially a bit less than other countries because we just feel people have more here and like, guess we can get there ourselves some of the girls have big sponsors who take over that realm but um jordan santana ministess and ariana carmona are the three girls that we approached and said we'd like to so we've earmarked uh fifteen thousand dollars to help them that's awesome yeah and then separately than that we created a line of t-shirts for them that we've pulled off the website right now with this pandemic we're going to talk about but uh, yes. every, every proceed from those sales of those shirts that have like a heart with the USA logo in it and their name on the back and like a cool. Right, right, right. Um, all the profits to go to them. And I'll tell you, they were only up for a month before the pandemic and Ariana's family and friends were buying them like mad. So Ariana had a lot of sales. <laughs> yeah. We were able to like send her a check for a couple hundred dollars. Right. right. Then. And she was like, whoa, that's, 
money. I didn't, and I didn't have to like, every time she goes to a contest, she's like, I have to call each sponsor and say, can you help me? And now with this pandemic, that is going to be even harder for people to do. Totally. Really quickly before we get into that, because that's a whole other situation. I wanted to just make it clear, like what you guys actually do with Girls Not a Four Letter Word. Because you have, you have the website, you have merchandise, you have the Instagram, obviously. I just wanted to make sure that I know what you, you guys yeah, are doing because it's, it's fine. So, a mess. So, so Girls Not a Four Letter Word is a not-for-profit. We're fiscally sponsored by a nonprofit, which means we don't carry the overhead of having a board or uh, state filings or anything like that. It allows us to give every single penny back to girls skateboarding without having any overhead. Amazing. Uh, it's kept completely separate than my business as a sports stylist. Right. It's, it's, it was created by me to generate visibility for girls in skateboarding when we saw the need and that there wasn't any. Then it was also um, created to financially help girls in skateboarding by our collab products. Like we have a helmet with S1 helmet right now. And um, all the girls on our team, we work with them to create more visibility. Like when somebody comes and wants to do a talk or a TV show or whatever, we're like, these are the girls we have and they right. all speak well and they all have other interests besides skateboarding. So it's, um, it's a combo thing. And then there's the book on top of that. It's just kind of a steamrolled, you know? It's right. Like, it's like whatever kind of adds to the vision is what gets included. Yeah. And also two things that I didn't see that I wanted to see back in my day, like the book. There was never a yes. book skateboarding. And so um, we created a hardback book. There had been two paperback books and I loved that, but we hadn't seen a hardback book that a girl could put by her bedside and be like, this is all about what I love. Right. And then um, Elise Krieger, who's our designer, uh, she designed the whole book. My husband, Ian Logan, did all of the mm -hmm. Of course, is seven years, but I a friend of mine said, you know, you used to always say back in the day, I wish I had a poster of girls to put on my wall as inspiration. I'm like, right. yeah, I did, but what about it? You know, we're doing a book. I guess they could rip them out of the book. She's right. like, that's ridiculous. Put a poster in the book. I'm like, how would I do that? Right. So talk to the company, and they're like, yeah, you could. We designed four different posters of four different women. So you, when you buy the book, it's sealed you don't know which poster you're going to get and it folds out by, I think it's 11 by 20 or 14 by 6. Wow. So you don't know which poster you're going to get. Um, in fact, that one behind me, if you can see it. I was going to ask you about that's that. Nora. That's Nora. That's a bigger size than the poster is. Right. Um, that's Nora. And that is one of the posters. Yeah, so, okay. That's, I need to get this book. Actually. I honestly have to admit that I don't own it. So Time, time. We'll trade packages. Okay, we could definitely do that. Yeah, I was like, time is a ticking. I need to get this. But um, obviously, once again, you can get this book. It, the book is It's Not About Pretty, correct? The book is called It's Not About Pretty, a book about radical skater girls. And you can get it at um, Amazon.com. You can get it on our website, which is shopgirlisnotafoilerword.com. We also have apparel on there. We have hats. We have books. Um, everything that we make is on that website. Yes. And um, that all those sales go back into girl skateboarding in one shape or form. I love it so, so much. That is, I mean, love it. I just can't say enough good things, but that's so awesome. Um, we have the website too. I forgot. We have yes. Website. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember even as I was saying to you before about like my research project, like you are so on top of 
posting things and finding things about like what's going on and even you saying like you collect so much stuff like you're like I definitely the most evolved version of what I need to become in terms of a skateboarding historian (laughs) but I love it a lot it's it the website is a really really great resource I feel like for like timely skateboarding information so I commend you because it's difficult it is difficult and we've kept it up for seven years and uh, most times when people do websites blogs whatever you want to call them they say the average is two years max people burn out and don't do it anymore uh people ask me if that website makes money we don't have any advertising on it mm-hmm. we don't generate in any income from that website it is strictly to have a timeline and to keep girls updated on what is happening out there with other girls that they may have missed because um, there's a lot of things that aren't on Instagram and there's a lot of things that don't come up in you know your parents news feed right so we've got them up there whatever it is and um, it, it is a timeline but I was gonna say you are just like me and I'm gonna tell you something in the very beginning of this conversation you said and you will die and I'll send you a picture later you okay you did mock magazine for school. yes so when I was in high school, I did a mock magazine, a mock skateboard magazine. Yeah. I had pictures and I wrote interviews and photo credits. Oh my God. Mock, and I still have them. I did, I think I did two or three of them in tournament. I got A plus. Um, <laughs> but Good. Like, so it's the same thing you're doing and look at what you're doing now. You're chronicling the history and you're, um, creating the history from the past as well as now and moving forward. And all these things will live on in it, not even in a time capsule, in real time. And right. be, because you have the internet, the yes. beauty of the internet, which lasts forever. Yes. It's and I, not so good. <laughs> yes, I will say to, to that point, first of all, thank you. But second of all, um, Lisa Whitaker and her website is like such a good actual resource of that too. Cause she has like, her whole history of like being a 90s skater has done so much for her because she was like obviously there more than I could ever be because I was very young <laughs> but like her website as well like does such a great job of chronicling these things and I feel like you and her to me are like almost those pioneers of like of the the historians for I guess lack of a better word but it's like so it's great to speak to you because it's like, we, we got to get that. You don't know it. Like you don't know wh- when you're not going to be able to just tap into these resources and find this information out. So it's, it's exciting. <laughs> I'm yeah. just nerding out. I love Lisa. Um, she was very supportive in the beginning of our projects and putting mm-hmm. about what we were doing and stuff. And I just feel like that's how we should all be with each other is be helping not feeling like we're um, competing because yeah. we're not. It, it's like you're doing something that's important. We're doing something. She's doing something. And if we all work together and we all collaborate together, how much bigger do we get? But when we work separately and we, you know, it's, it's just, I think collectively we're always stronger and Lisa's yes. proof of that. And I really, I really like Lisa a lot. And not even to like shit on men for necessarily, but I really find that women like in the skateboarding community are so good at that and so good at like supporting each other, backing each other up, no matter what project and stuff. Like I find so much positivity and so much support from people. And like, I'm 
on the East Coast, I've never, you know, we've never met in person. I've never met like so I've I've now met a bunch of people through Wheels of Fortune, but I hadn't met so many people that have really been there to be like, we love what you're doing. Like, let's make sure this person or this person or connect you with this and this brand, you know, it's, it's such a positive like chain. And I try to really like push that forward. Girls in New York now are starting to do their own meetups, which is amazing because through Quell, I really don't want to do meetups as much unless it's like, you know, a larger thing. Like there's so many people like Brianna King who isn't necessarily New York based all the time, but like even my friends Shauna and Anna are like just randomly doing a meetup or I saw one, you know, in Queens in New York. And it's like, as these, or even NYCSP, like as these people start to do meetups, like I want to be able to go there and just document them. It's not, you know, it's like certain people do certain things and are stronger at doing certain things because you can't do everything (laughs) at the same time. So it's nice to like what you said, have that support from everyone. Cause I really find like people will show up for you and help you and spread the word. And it's really cool. Now we didn't meet when I was in New York. That must've been, was it Kristen who came out? Oh, you know what? We did meet just kidding in times square. Yeah. But it was so cold. Who can remember? And right. It was like, well, night. I mean, it got dark early. Cause it yes. Was yes. But it was so cold on that sidewalk and yes. the girls that showed up and you yes. and other people, I was like, you guys actually like showed up on a random street. Well, not random, but right. where to see those billboards go up. And it's so nice to meet people who we've right. never met before. I don't know why I completely blacked that out of my brain. Minutes, <laughs> it was like so. You know, there was yeah. so much going on, and you knew so many people there. And yeah, meeting some people for the first time, and I was like super stressed about the timing of those billboards flashing. Right. Later. Off. I was like, is it going to happen? Did they lie to me? <laughs> right, 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 right. I had we, ESPN like waiting for me to tell them if they had gone up. And right. um, that was actually the night that they, that ESPN, whoops, sorry. That's I, okay. I started playing. <laughs> That's okay. Little, right. Um, yeah, that was the night that ESPN asked me if I'd come to the women's ESPN summit and do a talk about uh, girls not a four-letter word and women skateboarding after yeah. the boards go up. So wow, that was nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we went to a Vans event right after that. Now I fully remember because I remember we took pictures of your billboard, obviously, and then we showed our friend at Vans who works more specifically in like the store marketing, but because the girls in some I forget who was in the photo. Obviously, you would know, but. <laughs> Quinny was in it. Um, Zara was in it. Um, there was two, actually. We had two billboards. We had one vertical and one horizontal. Op- on yes. Together. Um, yes. And I'm trying to remember who else was in it. <laughs> the, the vertical one had, uh, she was wearing pink vans. So I remember so specifically. Yeah, that was Quinny. And then, yeah, we showed the vans people. And that was like, we were like, you guys should do more stuff. Like, great. <laughs> so... I rem- I do remember that. That those are projects that we actually didn't take money from girls not a four letter word. Um coffers, we basically my husband and I put up the money separately to put billboards in Los Angeles on Sunset Boulevard. Yes. And over a year later we decided to do Times Square. It came up really fast. I had some connections like you know you do in the industry that came right. said, do you want to do this and and I said well it's a little quick and right said, well, you know take it or leave it and I was like 
kind of perfect. It's the eve of Women's History Month. It couldn't be more perfect. I was like, the stars are aligning. We got to do this. You got to do it. And luckily, my husband knows how to speak that language of billboards and pixels and all those things I right. have no interest in. And, um, you know, wiring money quickly. Right. <laughs> So, and he's always up for an adventure. And he, what I remember about that too is what was great was Quinny's in those pictures, Kira was in those pictures. Um, they both flew out from California to be there for that unveiling. And then that's really cool. Team riders came in from um, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of people. It was it was really a fun night. It just yeah, it is. It is cold here. Feel free, but that was exceptionally cold. They were telling me. They said that night was exceptionally cold. You got a big cold snap through there. I don't even, I don't remember because where then Kristen and I went to the event in the meatpacking, it was like in the meatpacking district and it's generally so cold there, but I don't know. I've kind of lately been admitting to myself that I actually like fall and winter, which is like not a thing that this Miami girl should be admitting, but <laughs> I kind of like it. Well, I did just come from Dallas, which was 105 degrees, so that was a true nightmare. My sister goes to college out there, and or I guess she's getting her master's now, so I know she's a real adult. I keep thinking she's 18. She's turning 24. Like, it's crazy wow. to me, but anyway, back to you. I wanted to, I guess, ask, obviously, you've been through so many iterations of skateboarding. We've talked about that. Here, we can kind of talk more about the coronavirus as well, but like would you first of all would you ever have imagined skateboarding to be what it is now number one and number two what do you kind of imagine going forward in skateboarding well two things the first question i never would have imagined skateboarding being in the olympics so right so that's a huge one right there yes uh, and what i love about that is um olympics states that if you have a new sport come in it has to be equal male equal female yes everything has to be equal so i love that that equalizer if you will yes. so that's a really positive thing about the olympics and that created uh equality financially down the line because vans then stepped up and then when vans stepped up other contests started stepping up so mm -hmm. i think that was a really good ripple effect that we saw and i really really like it um but I don't want skateboarding to get lost its essence of being, you know, like a lot of us don't term it as a sport. We term it as a lifestyle. Right. Um, but these are athletes going to the Olympics. It isn't now in the Olympics. So people mm -hmm. refer to it as sport. It doesn't bother me when I hear that, but I know a lot of OG. Yeah. Like, it's a lifestyle. It's not a sport. <laughs> true athletes. I mean, I'm watching Minna train and she's with the trainer, physical trainer working out. She's eating right. She's, doing her exercises even during quarantine, which I'll get to next. And, you know, she's working with her skateboard um, coach as well. We never had that. We didn't have skateboard coaches. We didn't have physical mm -hmm. players. We didn't have any of that back in the day. But this is a different level and different situation. And I like, to, I like seeing where it's going. Yes. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. I know they have a plan. But in that regard, what else I'm seeing with the pandemic, um, you know, because mm -hmm. we are still in coronavirus land. Yes. And to see Venice Skate Park filled in with sand uh, during yeah. the pandemic, and then to go to some of Long Beach skate parks here in California, Long Beach, California, and see Carruthers Skate Park filled with mulch, and, and other skate parks filled with similar things to keep people out um, from skating so that we don't spread the virus. That was really shocking. 
Um, I'm glad that that uh, Ian was able to document it with drones. It's a yeah. piece of history. Um, the images have been sent off to the Smithsonian Museum. They wanted those for the collections there yeah. to document this time in skateboarding because they felt it was important. We've never seen anything like this. I had girls crying, calling me, going, they've ruined Smith's skate park. There's so much sand and it's going to ruin it. I'm like, it's cement. Sand doesn't ruin cement. It's, you know, look at Egypt. The right. sand swirl around and the pyramids are still there. Right. And, and like, now water would have been worse if they had filled it with water. Water probably with the cement and seeping in and, and sand below it. I think if they had to do what they did, sand was the least right bad thing right um, brothers with the mulch was a little weird because then you saw flowers you go back later and see flowers growing in the middle of the bottom of the snake run you know right and it was just really weird what they chose to use but i guess that's what they had nearby venice right. had sand and they had bulldozers so um a lot of people in venice scooped out the sand in the skate park city and people kind of look the other way and people are skating they are social distancing it's working out other skate parks are still closed because i look at venice so often on the cam and also um on instagram i'm assuming in my head all these other skate parks are open and then i remember no manhattan beach skate park still locked up you have to make an appointment and only x right time. skateboarding is very different but girls are taking it diy and mm -hmm. they're into their own hands and skating things like we talked about before um stoke much magazine has an article this month about that that we helped cover and write about yeah the girls are taking it back to them to DIY and right. building ramps and putting them in their house, you know, or out front. Harder right. in New York, obviously. Yeah. I do have a friend who I just have seen, they have like a ramp in their backyard now. And I, on Instagram, the twins, Nikki and Chris, they always keep posting like lunch break and they'll post like a clip. And I'm just like, good for you. That's, yeah. Isn't yeah. It, it's really great to see. Um, so, so that's good. But I mean, how are the skate parks out there? Are they, they still closed or do they really? No. Um, they closed and they're not closed anymore. I went to Fat Kid Park pretty recently. Nothing's closed. Really? That's yeah. Cool. You guys had the brunt of it in the beginning and now we're getting the brunt of it for the yeah. second day of here. So I know. We're, moving, we're moving backwards a little bit. Um, you're moving forwards, which is good because you have Hopefully. Really yeah. But yeah. Skateboarding is the thing that people need it for their mental sanity. They need it for physical um, they just need it because it's part of who you are. And right. It was really hard, I think, when that social aspect, too, is taken away of meeting up at the skate park and there's always somebody you know there. Yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. And I forget what your second question was now. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. I think we've – oh, well, my second question was, what do you imagine the future of skateboarding to be? But I think we've kind of a little bit addressed that, but if you have any additions – I, I think you'll see people who will be true soul skaters and you'll see people like um, Nora who paved the way for women to be able to have sponsorship deals without competing. To mm -hmm. me, that was huge. I, I think a lot of girls nowadays maybe don't see the significance as I do because right. for our back in the day, you had to compete to get those sponsorship deals. And men have had that for quite a while. You know, you look, you yeah. look at a lot of the, like, Day One Song, or, or you look at um, Chris Aslam and people like that who go out and film and, and do all sorts of cool things, and they have big sponsorship deals, but you don't see that with women. And Nora broke the ground for that. And she has said, you know, competing is not my favorite thing. So guess mm -hmm. what? You know, she doesn't have to. These companies right. 
sponsor her, sponsor her unequivocally. And I think that's what we'll be seeing more of, I hope. Because um, not every girl wants to compete. Right. She wants to develop tricks. Be right. That, you know, have a trick named after her. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be, yes. Wouldn't yeah. that be nice? <laughs> what, what Natalie and the girls do and, and go soul skate and travel and, and just do all these cool things. I mean, to me, that's the essence of skateboarding. I love the comps for sure. But to me, the true essence of skateboarding is seeing people travel, explore new terrain, and just have a blast and be with their friends. Right, right. I love that. So we're running almost on two hours. So there's so many things we didn't get to. So we're going to have to keep you back for part two eventually, because I want to talk to you, you know, about the 405 and the Smithsonian and all the stuff you've done, but I don't want to you know, drag this for super long. So I'm going to ask you our last question and hopefully one day we can really get into the other details. But what advice do you have for a person who wants to start skateboarding? Uh, I have to say, <laughs> get aboard, start skateboarding out front of your house, your driveway, wherever. Just do it because once you start, you will never stop and it's the best thing you'll ever do. Oh, perfect ending. Thanks for listening to Qual Party. We'll be back with episodes every other week. If you like listening to our podcast, please rate us five stars, leave a review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. I know it sounds corny, but it's true. It really helps us out. We're currently accepting submissions for our issue 06. Please send us your submissions via email to submit at qualskate.com. You can find Cindy at... On Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and our website girl is not a four-letter word find everything and anything about quell on quellskate.com or on instagram at quellskate and as always thank you for joining the party